by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. We call this our next level service for a read because we believe it'll take you to the next level. And we believe our, our next level faithfulness people or at our Wednesday night service. Y'all have taken it to the next level. And this is what's going, kind of thing that's going to take our church to the next level. Uh, we've been in a series about Daniel. And uh, the first week we talked about um, how he wouldn't compromise uh, with the king of Babylonian, the king Nebuchadnezzar, when he was hauled off into captivity into Babylon. Uh, the Babylonian Empire was had taken over the world at this point pretty much, and Daniel wouldn't compromise. Uh, last week we talked about how King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and God gave Daniel the interpretation of the dream, and instead of taking the, the credit and the glory for himself and saying, yeah, look at me, king, look what I can do, he showed humility and he gave all the glory and honor to God. We talked about how he handled the dream. Uh, but what we didn't get into and what I promised to get into was that we were going to talk about the dream itself. Uh, it was a prophecy about a statue, if you remember. In fact, let's go there to Daniel chapter 2. While you're turning there, I'll tell you a short story. You're probably saying, yeah, you never told a short story in your whole life. <laughs> I've got, I had a grandpa, we called him Papa. He lived down in Shaw, Mississippi with my Mimi. Now, I've often talked about him, uh, he was quite a character. He was one of those guys that paid cash for everything. Uh, of course, he didn't pay cash for his house. It took him almost two years to pay that off. But uh, if, if Mimi needed a, a new car, he'd go down to the Lincoln dealership and pay cash for one. If he needed a new cotton picker, he'd go down to John Deere and he'd pay cash for one. And I thought he was rich. I thought, man, this guy, well, I don't know where he's loaded. Where does he get all this money? You know, when the workers would come in from the field in the afternoons, he'd pull out a wad of cash big enough to befuddle Ben Bernanke. You know, he'd just be whipping off $100 bills and, and passing them out to the people. And I thought, man, he's just, he's unlimited. Where does he get all this money? I didn't realize it. He wasn't rich. He just believed in good, hard work and saving you money and not getting in credit debt. He carried, his, he carried everything he had in his pocket most of the time. He was an immigrant from Italy. So he had no real wealth given to him. He just believed in the good old American way of work hard and save you money and don't get in debt. Well, it may be the, the old American way, but that's the way he believed. And we were all on board with it when he came home one day with his pickup. In the back of his pickup was a, a yellow Yamaha four-wheeler. And we were like, all right, all right. And Papa brought a four-wheeler. He tried to tell us it was just for farm use, you know, there's only for, you know, getting things done on the farm, but, you know, we soon talked him out of that, and we was, me and my little brother Heath, he's six years younger, I was probably about 12, he's six or so, I don't know, we talked him out of that, and uh, we was driving that four-wheeler, and we, we ran out the inaugural tank of gas on that thing, you know, right off the bat, first day, of course, we were a couple miles 
away from home when we ran out of gas, and we had to walk back, and by the time we got back, it was late at night, and they were about to call out the National Guard looking for us, but we got back, told Papa all what happened, he put us in the truck, and cussed us in Italian all the way back to the four-wheeler, and then when he realized that we had left the key on and ran the battery down too, he cussed us again, good thing we didn't understand Italian, But anyway, didn't stop us the next day. We were back out on that four-wheeler, and we were hitting so many turn rows and riding up and down the streets and all over Bolivar County, Mississippi, to the point where the townsfolk have been, begin to call us the Dusty Duo because we, you know, some of our dust clouds could be spotted on weather radar. You know, we were just tearing up the streets everywhere. We were just such freedom to have, be that age and have your own. You know, the only thing going wrong was a few bumps and bruises when me and Heath would argue over who was going to get to drive next. And so, why do I say all this? I don't know. Where was I getting to this? Okay. Well, anyway, everything was going good until the rains came in. Big thunderclouds came over, and it rained for like three days. We were stuck in the house the whole time. And when it finally let up, we couldn't wait to get back outside. And believe me, my Mimi and Papa couldn't wait to get us back outside. We'd been <laughs> holed up in the house for three days. But we ran out, immediately got back on the four-wheeler, and something caught my eye. Over to the side of the house, it was like a pond. I mean, it was ankle-deep water in this low swag in the side, side yard over there. You know, you couldn't even tell it was Papa's best standard Bermuda under there. So I got on the four-wheeler, and I said, Heath, let's make us a track over here, and we'll do, go mud riding. So we, we cut us out a figure eight. And we was timing each other, see who could slide around there, you know, you know, on that four-wheeler. And we were just winding that thing out, man. We were sliding around there, slipperier than a barefoot bow weevil in a bowl of boiled okra. You know what I'm saying? It, and we were just, Whoo! and uh, Heath, then he's going to jump up and say, he's going to question my timing ability like I'm cheating. So that's when it was really on. So the competition got a little more fierce, and it got to where we wasn't even shifting gears anymore. We were staying in first gear and spinning them tires and them RPMs. I don't know if you ladies know anything about RPMs, but that little four-wheeler was going, and that engine was shaking, and, and uh, the, the, all the water being splashed up on it. it was like a cloud coming off of it. It was so hot. Next thing you know, just came to a sudden halt. I didn't think nothing. I was like, try <coughs> wouldn't do anything. I said, uh-oh, we done burnt this thing up because I looked down there and that thing was almost glowing, the engine on that thing. Guess what Papa did? I'll tell you later. We'll get to it, but right now, we've got to get to our message. Are you in Daniel chapter 2? Verse 31. We're going to uh, recount what we read last week about the, the dream and the interpretation that Daniel gives of King Nebo's dream. And then we're going to talk a little bit about what it means on the world prophecy stage. Now, let me warn you right now, I'm not an end times major. I have no degrees, except degrees of ignorance in this. But uh, I don't know what I'm talking about. No. <laughs> but we will, you know, I can look on the Internet and find out stuff, you know. But uh, I, what I'm saying is nobody knows everything when it comes to end-time prophecy. But we can learn as we study it together, and we can be reasonably sure some of the things could possibly be true. So Daniel, 
Now that I've really made a mess of that. Daniel chapter 2, verse 31. In your vision, your majesty, Daniel says, you saw standing before you a huge, shining statue of a man. It was a frightening sight. The head of the statue was made of fine gold. Its chest and its arms were silver, and its belly and its thighs were bronze. Its legs were iron, and its feet were a combination of iron and baked clay. As you watched, see, he's telling the king what he saw in his dream because the king wouldn't even tell him the dream. So this is amazing that Daniel was able to hear from God and even tell him what his own dream was. As you watched, a rock was cut out from a mountain, not by human hands, and it struck the feet of iron and clay and smashed them to bits. The whole statue was crushed into small pieces of iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold. And the wind blew them away without a trace like chaff on a threshing floor. <clears throat> but the rock that knocked the statue down, it became a great mountain that covered the whole earth. That was the dream. Now we will tell the king what his dream means. Your majesty, you are the greatest of kings. The God of heaven has given you sovereignty, power, strength, and honor. He has made you the ruler over all the inhabited world and put even the wild animals and birds under your control. You are the head of gold. But after your kingdom comes to an end, another kingdom inferior to yours will rise and take your place. After that kingdom has fallen, yet a third kingdom, represented by bronze, will rise to rule the world. Following that kingdom, there will be a fourth one, as strong as iron. That kingdom will smash and crush all the previous empires, just as iron smashes and crushes everything it strikes. The feet and toes, say toes, you saw, were a combination of iron and baked clay, showing that this kingdom will be divided. Like iron mixed with clay, it will have some of the strength of iron, but, but while some parts of it will be as strong as iron, other parts will be as weak as clay. The mixture of iron and clay also show that these kingdoms will try to strengthen themselves by forming alliances with each other through intermarriage, but they will not hold together just as iron and clay do not mix. During the reigns of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness, and it will stand <coughs> forever. That is the meaning of the rock cut from the mountain, though not by human hands, that crushed to pieces the statue of iron, bronze, clay, silver, and gold. The great God was showing the king what will happen in the future. The dream is true, and its meaning is certain. So we see here a prophecy about this big old frightening statue that has these different levels. Um, one of the first things I noticed was it seemed to decrease in value of the metals. started with the gold, then it went to the silver, then it went to the bronze, then it went to common old iron, and then it was iron and clay. So uh, the metals decreased in value, but they also increased in strength as you went down. You know, gold's kind of a soft metal at times, but you get down to the iron, it's very hard. And I thought, that's sort of like what we see in our world today values decreasing while capacity to destroy is increasing. You see what I'm saying? Our values, the things we think are important, our moral character and such is decreasing, but our capacity to be hard and strong and violent is increasing. That's a deadly combination on a slippery slope. So we find ourselves in 
what they call perilous times. Do you agree? Well, like I said, it, it, didn't, it wasn't me who came up with all this information, but the most common interpretations, having the benefit of hindsight about these kingdoms, uh, we know that the head of gold was the Babylonian Empire, which lasted from 606 B.C. to 538 B.C. How do we know that? Because that's, it said that much in the prophecy, in the, in the scriptures we just read. He told King Nebuchadnezzar, you are that head of gold, and he was the, the head of the uh, Babylonian Empire. Dr. Ronald Showers, in his book, The Most High God, writes, Babylon used gold extensively in its buildings, images and shrines. Even walls and buildings were overlaid with gold. So they were known for being a fancy kingdom. You know, they, they used gold. They, they ruled the world, and they had as much as they wanted, I guess, and they used it. Um, what can we learn from these earthly kingdoms as we begin to describe them? I thought, you know, I don't like to just tell a history lesson. I, I think we can learn something from everything. Uh, I think what, one thing I saw was the gold could represent our pride. You know, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, he thought he was all that in a bag of chips. He really did. He was ruling the world, and he was like, look what I have done. And, our, you know, he had an assistance that he sat on the throne. And you find out later that God uh, had to really break him down, made him go out and live like an animal for, for a, was it a couple of years or something? Seven months? Seven years? <laughs> he, fi he finally broke King Nebuchadnezzar down. We don't want to have to be broken down like that where we're out chewing the cud <laughs> and our fingernails are so long, you know, and we're living like an animal. Uh, that's a different story for a different day, but it's true. Uh, we don't have to be the head. You know, that he represented the head, the gold, and thinking that life is all about me and it's about my goodness and look what I've done. So I think pride could be describing uh, the gold kingdom, and I think pride is one of the things that keep a lot of people out of the true kingdom, the everlasting kingdom that we're going to get to. The second part, we see the silver chest and arms, and I'm told that this represents the Medes and Persian Empire, which lasted from 538 to 331 B.C., you see, it uh, started at the same year that the Babylonian Empire ended, so that tells you that the Medes and, per, uh, and Persians had a, must have had a battle with the Babylonians and won. And so they became the new world empire. Uh, in ancient times, silver represented uh, finances and money, and that's the way the Medes and Persian Empire uh, thought of themselves. They ruled because they had the most money. Now, of course, we know in our, in our lives, if we're thinking like that, uh, that's a love of money, and it's the root of all evil, right? And uh, if we're thinking that we're okay because I've got enough money to last, you know, the rest of my life, or, or that's my goal, or I love money so much that I can't serve God because i got to make money, if money is your God, then uh, it's not a good thing. Or if just trust in money. You know, you're just trusting in your money more than you're trusting in God. People that, that will not give or tithe, they're holding on to it, they're scared. You know, that God, is. if I give my money to God, I'll, I won't have anything. They're like, God's promises are not true. They're trusting in their money and their riches more than they are in their relationship with God. Then we have the uh, thighs of bronze, which represent the Greek empire, which lasted from 331 to 168 B.C. And the Greeks... They were the ones that pretty much developed bronze, and they used it extensively in just about everything they did. That was a bronze period. 
so to speak. And so, you know, as you see what God said hundreds of years before come to pass, you know, with hindsight, we can see, oh, it, yeah, God knew what was coming down the pike. Isn't that amazing? So that's why it's important that we read this and be interested about this because maybe some of this hadn't come to pass yet. Because remember I said, what if America is involved in this prophecy? What if we as individuals are in some way involved in this prophecy written way back in the book of Daniel? Interesting. The Greeks, it was said, thought that whatever was beautiful was holy. If they saw something beautiful, they considered it holy. That's a little bit backwards. The Jews and the Christians, we should, we should see holy things and think it's beautiful. We don't see beautiful things and call it holy. We see holy things and call that beautiful. I think they had it a little bit backwards. You know, the Greeks had a, a reputation of, of worshiping the creation more than they do the creator. And, uh, of course, nobody in here would think like that. But we have to be careful. We can do it in subtle ways that we don't even recognize. Sometimes I think, you know, there's been times in my life that I'm so worn out, you know, uh, working so hard and mentally taxed or whatever, and I just want to take a vacation. And I'm like, man, if Angie, book us at the beach or the mountains or something, you know, because I'm, I'm going to get me some rest and re relaxation. I'm not even going to think about God. Wait, wait, wait a minute. That's trusting in the creation to give you peace. That's trusting in the creation to give you uh, rest. And who are we supposed to be trusting in? Don't go on a vacation without God. <laughs> Invite him on the vacation with you. Have both at the same time. You can have the creation and the creator, but you can't have just the, uh, just the creation without God and be doing right. Anyway, so... Then the legs of iron, that is known to be the Roman Empire, which came along in 168 B.C. and lasted a good long time until 476 A.D. So that was 168 years before Christ and lasted 476 years after his death. Uh, ancient Rome was noted for its, its use of iron in its military weaponry. They used iron. They, they were the first to, you know, develop this hard iron that, they, that, was, that made their weapons stronger. Like I said, iron is a very rigid and hard and unyielding substance. And, you know, if you've got some kind of bronze sword coming up against an iron sword, that iron sword is probably going to break your bronze sword. And so that's probably what happened. That's why the Romans, you know, uh, began to rule the world at the same year that the Greek Empire fell once again in 168 B.C. is when that happened. But, uh, like I said, iron is hard and unyielding. Is your life characterized by being stiff-necked and having a hard heart, a self-will that won't be softened or broken? You know it all already. I'm telling you, we're living in a generation that some people know everything already. There was a time I felt like I knew everything, you know. It's mostly young people <laughs> that hadn't experienced some of the things yet. But, but that's the way it is. Is it particularly hard for God to get through to you? If he wants to 
to tell you or mold you, if, if he tells you, if he criticizes something that you have done, if he tells you, are you like Cain, you know, get your feelings hurt? Because my offering wasn't acceptable, you know. <laughs> because God's trying to teach you something. If God disciplines you, do you get an attitude and you don't go to church for two years or something, you know? Or are you hard to deal with like a piece of iron? Piece of iron? Psalms 51, 17, the psalmist writes, the sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and a repentant heart, O God. Well, that doesn't sound right. Doesn't God want us to get it all together? Well, not necessarily. God would like you to be soft and pliable. When your own the potter's will. He doesn't need you to be hard and rigid. I won't be moved. You can't touch me. Don't mold me. Oh, get off me, God. He wants you to just let him break you. And that breaking part is hard. That's called the humility. He gets you on that potter's will. He gets your hands in your life. Because look, we're all jacked up. I'm just being honest. The best of us think, oh, we've got it together. And God's like, let's do this over again. Right? But if we'll let him get his hands in there. But he's not going to do what you, if you're rigid, you got an iron heart. He's just going to let you stay ugly and unbroken. But if you'll let him break you, a contrite heart, you know, a humble attitude, God will not reject you when you come to him like that. He will make you into something you would, you would have never been able to make yourself into. Now, those are the main kingdoms. And remember, all these kingdoms came crumbling down when that rock came out of the mountain, remember? So none of these kingdoms were last. These are all, what, earthly kingdoms. The question remains of the last kingdom, what is, those, what, what is the kingdom of the feet of iron and clay? Has that come to pass yet? Have we seen that empire here on the earth? Is it America? Some have argued that they think it's Europe because Europe in many ways has been strong in some regards and, and weak like clay in other regards. Some argue that it's, it's Rome. It, it was Rome when the Roman Empire... Rome was the last one, the iron, and they, they argued that it was Rome. And, you know, then they made Christianity the state religion. And they argue that that's the clay when it, when it became weak, but when Christianity began to rule. And so they weren't so hard and hard-hearted. Christianity came in and softened them up. They argue that. I could see that a little bit. Or like I said, could it just be modern-day America? We certainly have the most powerful military ever assembled on the earth. We've got some iron, right? Yet our backbone and our wheel, well, it's getting kind of soft, isn't it? It's, it's, it's like our backbone and our, our wheel to lead is crumbling like clay in the world. Could it be America? Let's discover what we know about America. Let's talk about America for a minute. I believe America's strength has always been our declaration that we're one nation under God. I believe just that realization that 
we're one nation under God, has what's given God license to intervene on America's behalf and make us the greatest, probably the greatest nation ever on the face of the earth, I believe. Although some in our nation would like to conveniently forget about our Christian heritage. In fact, they'd like to what? Forget about God altogether. They would just be happy if there was no mention of Jesus, God, or Allah, or Buddha, or anybody. They, they don't want to hear about any higher powers. They don't want any, to be held accountable to anybody or anything. Well, let's examine the facts about our Christian heritage just for a moment. Y'all bear with me? We'll talk about it. Because uh, I've got facts on this. I've got facts. And uh, once you hear our founding fathers take on things, you'll be saying, man, they're preaching real good. They're preaching better than you, Pastor. Listen to this. In 1620, when the pilgrims were coming over and they made the Mayflower Compact, this, it began with these words. It says, in the name of God, amen. <laughs> that sounds like the end of it. But that's the way they started it. In the name of God, amen. Then said, having undertaken for the glory of God, advancement of the Christian faith, a voyage to plant the first colony in northern parts of Virginia. So they were coming over to do what? Just have freedom of religion so everybody can worship Buddha? No, they were the advancement of the Christian faith. Amen? The Christian faith, Mayflower Compact. That's before they even got here. They say the reason, declaring the reason they're coming over. We know that our Declaration of Independence says we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. Did you notice it didn't say all men evolved into being equal? No, all men were what? Created equal. That they are endowed by their creator. Sounds like they believe in a God with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And if that don't sound like Jesus, I don't know who it is. Life, he is life. Liberty, which is freedom. He who the Son sets free is free indeed in the pursuit of happiness. Which he would, he would take it up a step and say, let's go for joy. Let's go for a joy unspeakable, full of glory. Let's take it up a notch. All our laws, our judicial system, all based obviously on the Ten Commandments. You don't believe me? Our patriots and forefathers agreed. James Madison, you ever heard that name? He says, we have staked the whole future of American civilization not upon the power of government. Praise God! That's a shouting statement right there that we don't have to base our faith in the government. But upon the capacity of each and all of us to govern ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. James Madison, talking about the Ten Commandments. <laughs> yeah, I would like to see they sell you come in and try to take the Ten Commandments out of America back in them days. Patrick Henry said, heard of Patrick Henry? It cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Not on religion, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Woo! Patrick Henry. And then on the day that they signed the Declaration of Independence in 1776, do you think, would we agree that's an important day in American history? Have you heard of Samuel Adams? 
Samuel Adams says, We have this day restored the sovereign to all, whom all men ought to be obedient. He reigns in heaven, and from the rising to the setting of the sun, let his kingdom come. On the day they signed the Declaration of Independence. Thomas Jefferson, maybe you've heard of him. He said, Can the liberties of a nation be thought secure when we have removed their only firm basis? A conviction in the minds of the people uh, that these liberties are a gift of God? That they are not to be violated, but with his wrath? Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and that his justice cannot sleep forever. He said, don't you mess with the justice of God? Don't you mess, don't you mess around and think that this ain't God's grace upon America? It's Thomas Jefferson. Then, of course, our great Constitution. One of the beautifulest documents ever penned by a human aside the Bible has led America to become the most prosperous and free nation in the history of man, but it's completely dependent on the moral character of the inhabitants of this nation that we abide by it. Or the Constitution means nothing if we don't have the moral character to live up to its highest standards. The Constitution was not intended, as many say, to be this living, breathing, moving how do you, it's ink on a paper. It's not living and moving. It's not subject to the wills of the, the immoral fancy of today. To do what you, oh, what feels good today. No, it's ink on a paper. It said what it said. It, it meant what it meant at the time, and it still means the same thing today. So don't buy into this stuff. It's a living, breathing constitution. And then we could just change it according to the way we feel today and what the media is pumping out today. That's a lie. It said what it said and it meant what it meant. A guy named Alexander Fraser Titler, if I'm pronouncing that right, he predicted that a democracy cannot exist as a permanent form of government. He wasn't for a democracy. That means where people get to vote. It can only exist until the voters discover that they can vote themselves largesse, which means money and gifts, from the public treasury. From that moment on, the majority always votes for the candidates promising the most benefits from the public treasury, with the result that the dem dem democracy always collapses over loose physical policy followed by a dictatorship. The average age of the world's greatest civilizations has been 200 years. And since he died over 200 years ago, the guy that wrote this, I would say that we've outlasted the average democracy. But I would say we're teetering with the same thought that he has here. Because today only 62% of Americans have a job. That means 38% are not in the workforce, and that's a 38-year low, and we seem to be sinking lower and lower. We seem to be growing a mentality while you do the work and you pay me to sit at home. Mark 3.24 says, and if a kingdom be divided against itself, a kingdom cannot stand. Jesus said if you divide it against yourself, you're not going to stand, and we're being divided at every turn. It's almost like the devil himself has got his hands on the media. 
Oh, we'll put this station over here saying this thing. We'll put this station over here saying this thing, and we'll just let them fight it out until all the Americans are confused and, and hating one another. We're divided politically. We're divided over which direction to go forward. We're, we're divided racially, economically, according to gender. Even the church is divided with 8,000 different denominations here in America alone. We all feel like we are. We, we can only be with those who believe just like we do. And is that what God says? I'll just be honest. I don't believe America is that nation, the feet of iron and clay. And I hope it's not. Because you know that's the one that's going to get destroyed by the rock coming out of the mountain. You remember what it said? It said it's going to come down and it's going to hit those feet. And it's going to crumble them, and then the rest will come tumbling down. But the, it's going to hit the one that's there when it comes out. <clears throat> I don't believe America is that feat of iron and clay. And I believe that America still has time to avoid being part of anything that the world collects to be that end-time dynasty. If that makes any sense. There's still time to avoid crumbling with the other kingdoms of this world. America has always been a shining city on a hill. America has always been a beacon of freedom and light. America has always reached out and sent out more missionaries than any other nation in the world. It has sent more money and, and help and aid all around the world than all the rest of the nations in the history of the world combined. And I believe that there's still a remnant here, and I believe that God has his hand on America, and I believe... Second uh, Chronicles 7.14, he says, Then if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and restore their land. Now, I want you to understand, I believe a lot of Christians are saying, Well, we can never do that. There's too many lost people and they won't pray. We don't say they should pray. It says, If my people... If my people, those called by my name, will humble themselves and pray. If there ain't but two of us, we can do that. I believe, like many, that the, the kingdom with the feet of iron and clay is still yet to come. It's yet to, it's yet to be decided who will be part of that. Many people think that represents the revised Roman Empire, that's what they call it. And we can see that's kind of like the, the one world government stuff that we hear coming at the end where the whole nation gets together. We, we see that in the book of Revelations. Why do I say that? Why do I say it couldn't be America? Or I don't say it couldn't be. Like I said, I don't, I don't know for sure. Prophecy is the... Mm-hmm. Could be, could be. America, as far as I can tell, is, it, unless it's very veiled, is not mentioned, of course, by name or anything in the Bible, so it's hard to tell where America stands. You know where I hope America stands? I hope America stays out of it. I hope America is that nation on a hill to the very end. And, and God can say, see, that's what I could have done with all of y'all. And I hope we're not part of that uh, that destruction that's going to take place with that end-time kingdom. See, Daniel's prophecy mentions feet and 
toes. You remember I got you to say toes? Feet and toes. How many toes does the average two feet have on them? Ten. Could the ten toes represent the ten nations that will be led by the Antichrist in Revelations chapter 17? Let's go there. Revelation 17, verse 12. It's at the end of the Bible. Revelation 17, verse 12, says the ten horns of the beast are ten kings who have not yet risen to power. They will be appointed to their kingdom for one brief moment to reign with the beast. The beast here representing the Antichrist. They will agree to give him power and authority. So when the Antichrist comes in, He's going to be thought of as he has this great peace plan or something. You know, I'm throwing things at you that I ain't got time to back up, but, but he's going to come onto the scene, and he's going to say that I have peace when probably in a time where everybody's about to nuke one another or something, you know, and he's going to come up with the peace plan, and so people are going to trust him, and then he's going to, he's going to come to power, world power, and then he's going to assign ten regions and put ten kings into power. I don't know if they're already in place or... Or, or whether he'll reassign ge geography or who knows. But he's, they're all going to agree to give him power and authority. And uh, I was thinking how cold and hard the Antichrist seems, sort of like iron. And I was thinking that those ten nations will be like clay in his hands. Iron and clay. But I was also thinking... Thank goodness for that rock that was cut out of the mountain, but not with human hands. Do you have any idea who that rock might be? Daniel 2.34 says, as you watched, a rock was cut from the mountain, but not with human hands. It struck the feet of the iron and clay and smashed them to bits. The whole statue was crushed. That means all the kingdoms of this world are coming to naught. If you have had... Secret ambition to, to rule the world? Well, guess what? That'd be the worst thing you could do. Because everything you're going to build in that regard is coming to naught. It's going to be crushed into small pieces of iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold. And the wind blew them away without a trace. There won't even be a remembrance of the kingdoms of this world. Like chaff on a threshing floor. But that rock that knocked the statue down will become a great mountain. And it'll cover the whole earth. Revelation 17, 14 says, Together they will go to war against the Lamb, talking about those ten kingdoms, but the Lamb will defeat them because he is Lord of all lords and King of all kings, and called and chosen, and, and his called and chosen faithful ones will be with him. Oh, that gets me excited. You know why that gets me excited? Because I feel like I'm a called and chosen one. What about you? And you know why that also gets me excited? That tells me that somehow I done got out of here before that war takes place. Huh? That tells me that 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, whoo, when that trump sounds, I'm going to be in that second bunch. The dead in Christ will rise first. I'm going second. Then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. And we're going to ride back with him to the battle of Armageddon where he destroys these ten kingdoms and smashes them to bits. Then Revelation uh, 11 15 says, the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there was loud voices shouting in heaven. 
And it says, the world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and our Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. He has a kingdom that will never end. He will, from that point on, you won't have to worry about. It'll be a rock. It'll be a mountain that covers the whole earth. His rule will rule forever and ever. What about America? I think the best thing we can do is try our best to keep it to be a beacon of light on the hill. To do our part, to pray for our nation so that we don't have to be a part of that, that battle. Of, that, that America is not one of the ten nations coming against Israel in the, in the Valley of Megiddo. In the Valley of Armageddon. We can't run this, this nation through the mud like me and Heath did my papa's old yellow four-wheeler. We can't blow it up. We can't just run it till it runs out and, and throws a rod. So there we were, ankle deep in water, four-wheeler smoking. And I looked around. There was trenches this deep in my papa's Bermuda. It was all muddy. And I'm thinking, what if Papa comes out right now? What if God comes down right now? We better tighten up. We better start thinking about what we've made this mud hole down here. Better start doing some repenting. I learned that a new generation doesn't take time to appreciate the sacrifices of their forefathers. They don't enjoy the freedoms. They don't understand the freedoms in which they now enjoy. Man, we was riding that four-wheeler like we could, that Papa could go get another one like it wasn't no big deal. People that are desecrating our flag, they're people that never had to serve to protect that flag. People sitting out during the national anthem, they have, not, they have no clue how much blood was spilt for this nation so that they could have the freedom to protest like that. I mean, they have the freedom to do it. God bless them. It's just like Heath and I didn't, didn't value the old yellow four-wheeler, old yellow that day. But since then, I've learned that freedom ain't free. Ain't nothing comes free. And I hate to see old glory dragged through the mud like it is these days by a generation that doesn't understand sacrifice. All you have to be is a, one generation removed from the sacrifice and then the next generation doesn't appreciate what, what the previous generation went through. Judges 2.17 says, Yet they would not listen to the judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. Unlike their fathers, unlike their fathers, they quickly turned from the way in which their fathers had walked, the way of obedience to the Lord's command. That's what we see happening today. Heath and I, we didn't know nothing about praying. We knew very little about God, but we prayed that day. We prayed, we begged God to spare us from the wrath of the great Papa. And I'm not kidding you. We prayed, and I got on that four-wheeler and tried it again, and that booger cranked up. It did. It ran just long enough to get back to the barn, and it went back dead. 
We called Mama, said, come get us, Mama. We got to go. <laughs> I learned a little bit about stewardship that day and how easy it is to totally ruin an awesome blessing that's been entrusted to you. We got to help this younger generation, folks. And if we've lost sight of what we've been given, we got to remember. We got to stir ourselves up. We need to do some repenting. We need to do some praying that we be saved from the wrath of Papa. I I learned the value of prayer and the power of repentance that day. And if we could get a hold of these things as a nation, I think that's what we we best be about doing. Remember, we don't have to get the world to humble themselves and pray, seek God's face and turn from their wicked ways. We have to. If it's one, two, five thousand, a hundred thousand, the church... God's people, those are called by his name. We need to humble ourselves and pray. Brother Tom has called Sunday night prayer from 5 to 6. We've been doing it for a while. If you can make it to that, it's going to be solely dedicated to praying for revival. In this nation, in this church. Tuesday night we prayed for revival in the jailhouses. And we're starting to see it. We're seeing so many Bible studies started in the jailhouse. More and more guys are coming in there already saved, and they're, they're showing the other guys. It's almost like I can see a day when somebody gets thrown into the clink and they go into the Soto County Jail, and just the power of God hits them, and they repent right there before they even get to their pod. I mean, it's getting good in there. Some of the best praise and worship I've ever been a part of was in the DeSoto County Jail. Don't write those guys off. God uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. Don't think it has to happen to us all holy saints. Pray for those guys because those guys can get out of here and come join us and link arms with us and we can take this city. Let's pray for a lot of things. This is the, this is the hour in which we must pray. We can't just take for granted, well, let's just go on and get through today. You know, I'm just holding on my four and no more. No, we got to go. We got to get that four-wheeler back to the barn before Papa comes home. listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.